Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Jordan Rubin. And I'm Kimberly Robinson. This is your sneak peek for the week of January 11th. We're recording this on the 7th, the day after Trump supporters stormed the Capitol while Congress was making Biden's win official. This all happened against the backdrop of false voter fraud claims stoked by the president and some of his allies in Congress who were challenging the results that day. Election challenges have been rejected in courts across the country, including the Supreme Court, and the court's latest order against Republican challenges came today. Kimberly, can you catch us up on that order? Sure. So this afternoon, the justices swiftly rejected a bid by GOP Congress members to reverse the outcome of the presidential election. The request was made just yesterday as the Senate was preparing to meet to count those state electors. As you mentioned, the meeting was interrupted by pro-Trump rioters who sieged the Capitol. Now, the request, led by Texas GOP Representative Louis Gohmert, asked the justices to allow Pence to reject certifications in swing states won by Joe Biden. Now, the justices Justice's one-sentence order didn't say that the swift denial was related to last night's riots, but the timing is a stark change from previous requests for the justices to intervene in the 2020 election. Uh, In previous GOP requests, we've seen the court take its time to reject these challenges or even just to sit on them, presumably until they are moot. Uh, The swift action here has given fodder to the argument that the Supreme Court should have swiftly and forcefully rejected previous challenges, and some have argued that the court's refusal to do so helped contribute to yesterday's riots. And we saw last night SCOTUS veteran Tom Goldstein urging the justices to issue a unanimous ruling uh, saying that the election was not rigged. Um, Now, I have my doubts as to whether these Trump supporters would have been persuaded by such a ruling, uh, given that they haven't been deterred by the Supreme Court's rejection of earlier claims, but maybe the justices thought it wasn't worth the risk and decided to respond quickly, though not in the way that Goldstein suggested. Yeah, what you're saying, Kimberly, is actually kind of like what Senator Mitt Romney of Utah was saying in the Senate last night when they resumed after being evacuated. For any who remain insistent on an audit in order to satisfy the many people who believe that the election was stolen, I'd offer this perspective. No congressional audit is ever going to convince these voters, particularly when the president will continue to say that the election was stolen. The best way we can show respect for the voters who were upset is by telling them the truth. Romney was sitting behind and seemed like he was glaring at Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri, who clerked for Roberts and had objected to the results. It was actually another former SCOTUS clerk, Ted Cruz, who had clerked for Rehnquist, who was also behind the failed effort. So, Kimberly... There's a lot to say about all of this with talk of the 25th Amendment and another potential impeachment in the air, but let's get to what the listeners want, a sneak peek of the three whole cases (laughs) the court's going to hear this week. What's happening on Monday? Uh, well, the Supreme Court is going to kick off 2021 arguments with Pham versus Guzman Chavez, yet another immigration case for the justices. All immigration cases are technical, but this one takes the cake. The question here is whether certain immigrants can get bond hearings while awaiting immigration proceedings or whether they are subject to mandatory detention. Does that um, does that sound familiar? It does. 
This is the term of deja vu. Like so many cases this term, the justices considered a similar question in Jennings versus Rodriguez. In that 2018 ruling, the court found that detained immigrants are not entitled to periodic bond hearings. This case here involves another group of, in of immigrants, those that are in what's known as withholding only removal. I told you this is going to get technical, so um, I'll try my best. So these are people who have returned to the United States after being removed and are therefore subject to an expedited removal process, but they have claims uh, of eligibility for discretionary relief from deportation because they would be tortured if returned to their home country. Now, this is a small number of people that we're talking about. Oh, but the government claims that those individuals are subject to a 90-day mandatory detention after which ICE can but doesn't have to release them. The immigrants here who actually won below say that they aren't subject to mandatory detention and instead are under another provision of the Immigration and Nationality Act that gives more discretion to immigration judges. Now, this is important because these proceedings can take months or even years, and this will decide whether or not um, many of them are detained or are out in the United States while the government considers their claims. So that's Monday. On Tuesday, we have a case called Uzabunum against Przewski. And the issue here is whether the government can moot a plaintiff's nominal damages claim for past rights violations by changing its policy after a suit is filed. So what happened here was the case involves a man named Chike Uzabunum, who was a student at Georgia Gwinnett College, and he wanted to hand out religious leaflets at school, but was restricted to a designated free speech zone. He then filed suit, but then the school changed its policy. So this is kind of a technical case too, but it's against the backdrop of big speech and religion issues that's divided the court recently. And Uzabunim is represented by the Alliance Defending Freedom, which has had a lot of success litigating religious claims at the court. And so this one, uh, like the immigration one before, is sort of a follow-up um, to last term's gun case, uh, where one of the questions was whether or not New York could uh, moot the suit by uh, changing the law or whether or not the claim for nominal damages would keep that suit alive. The justices ultimately did not agree to or did not decide that question, right? Exactly. So it's another instance where you have a, a big hot button issue, but it's against the backdrop of this technical mootness doctrine. So we could still see some division on the court, even though it is more of a technical issue. And so what do we have on Wednesday, Kimberly? So last up for the court uh, this week is going to be AMG Capital Management versus the Federal Trade Commission. This case centers on an FTC order requiring Scott Tucker to pay $1.27 billion related to deceptive payday loans. Got to tell you, if there's one thing the FTC doesn't like, it's payday loans, so watch out. Uh, Tucker says that the FTC doesn't have the authority um, to issue to require uh, equitable monetary relief. Instead, it can only issue injunctions. And this, too, is like uh, one of the cases from last term. It's a follow-up from last year's decision in Lou versus SEC. There, the Supreme Court held that a disgorgement award qualified as, quote, equitable relief and thus was permissible um, under federal securities laws. Now, the challenger in this FTC case distinguishes Lou by saying that the term injunction is narrower than the term terms equitable relief. And we'll get our sneak peek at whether or not the justices agree with them when they hear argument on January 13th. So... 
that's all the news about upcoming cases. But one more thing to mention following the election of two Democratic senators from Georgia. That's right. So now we're going to be on briar watch for the indefinite future, meaning that now that the Democrats have wrested control of the Senate from Republicans, uh, now that there's also going to be a Democratic president as well, uh, Justice Breyer, if he wants to, could safely retire and have the Democrats appoint a successor who they want. Of course, we all saw what just happened with Justice Ginsburg in the waning days of the Trump administration. And so is Justice Breyer going to retire during democratic control? Probably. It's a question of probably more so when exactly he might be doing that, but just keep an ear out for that on the podcast. We're going to be talking about that, I'm sure, as the term goes on. Well, that's right. And it'll be interesting to see who Biden eventually nominates um, to a potential post as he has pledged already to nominate the Supreme Court's first black female justice. So we'll see if he follows through. That's going to do it for today's episode. We'll be back next week with another super swift sneak peek, um, given that the justices are going to beat their record of just three cases this week, which is two next week. So that'll be fun. Until then, you can follow along with all the latest Supreme Court news at news.bloomberglaw.com. This is Adam Ellington, and I'm here to announce a new season of Uncommon Law, a narrative podcast series from Bloomberg Law. My co-hosts and I will speak with African-American attorneys and hear their perspectives on how big law is, or in some cases, isn't adapting to become more diverse and inclusive. It's not fair, but what can be better than being on the front lines of helping to make this country better for all of us? If not us, who? If not now, when? Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts.